talking about the job titles and the, the names of Christ. Uh, job titles are interesting, and uh, if you go back, and uh, I don't know when this exactly started, that people needed to feel more important about their job. And I think it actually probably began when companies realized they could give a raise or they could just make people feel better about the job that they were doing by giving them a nicer title. And so, um, everyone remembers the sanitation engineer? Remember that? Right. Which is a way that you could feel good about yourself if you, you know, dump trash cans into the back of the truck. Who knows who's the office assistant? Remember the office assistant? This is nice, nice. You don't hear about secretaries anymore. Right? There's, there's no secretaries. They're all office or personnel assistants. Or, um, so there's, there's some interesting ones. That, this, this trend continues. Uh, does anybody know what a digital nomad is? You ever heard of a digital nomad? Never heard of digital... Now, digital nomad, that sounds like... Uh, I don't know. That sounds uh, pretty prestigious. That is a guy who either works on his computer in his pajamas at home or he works on his computer at a coffee house or he works on his computer in his pajamas at a coffee house. I don't know. Uh, he just goes around. He doesn't go to the office. It, it makes him feel nicer about working at home or, or I'm a digital nomad. Um, so, so here's a couple more. Who knows what a brand warrior is? A brand warrior. Know, know what a brand warrior is? What, what field do you think a brand warrior might work in? Marketing. He's just a marketing dude. Uh, here's one I found. A pneumatic, a pneumatic device optimizer. That sounds... That guy's got to make a lot of money right there. That, that title's worth. Uh, just a factory worker. He just stands at a machine, apparently a pneumatic machine, and he operates the thing. And, and that's, that's what his job is. He's a factory worker. Uh, this is really a, a digital overlord. That's an actual title, Digital Overlord. That's, that sounds really ominous in, in a sense. You know what that guy is? Someone's got to know. What? You're close. Is a website manager. Digital Overlord. We we began last week talking about uh, the the uh, a name of Jesus. We talked about Messiah and what that, that references. We're going to talk about three positions that Jesus holds as being anointed. And we talked about how being the Messiah or being anointed has to do with being chosen for a special job. And um, he looked, when, when Christ came here and he looked at things that needed to be done, he had some special things that needed to get accomplished. And uh, as we saw... This concept was borrowed from the Old Testament. And now, not every job, unlike, unlike the, the workplaces that we are in, not every job needs a special title. You don't need to be the digital overlord or, or what have you. Uh, not every job comes with a great title, but some do. Some do have these special titles. And, and, and for these jobs, you are anointed. You don't need to be anointed to, you know, to take out the trash. You don't need a special title to take out the trash. Jesus came here with some big titles. He didn't come here to be a happiness facilitator. 
he didn't come here to be the spiritual assistant. Right? He didn't come here for low-level, small little duties to do. Jesus Christ came down and He, he took a, a human form and suffered a lot of things because He had some big things to accomplish. And we're going to talk about three of those things over the next three weeks. Um, and so the first one uh, today that we're going to look at <clears throat> found in Deuteronomy 18.15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so this is one of the three main jobs in the Old Testament that you were anointed for is the job of a prophet. Now, <clears throat> what is a prophet? We have to know... Excuse me. Nothing like weak old water. <clears throat> so, um, what is a prophet? We have to know about being a prophet before we can know the prophet, right? What is a prophet? Well, the first thing you think of, I'm wondering if that's out of order here. Okay. Um, let's, let's read this first because I'm out of order in my thing. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And the disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How is such mighty work done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are these not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around among the villages teaching. And so, <clears throat> it is important to note that Jesus accepted the position of prophet for himself. He did take this title to himself. So what is a prophet? Well, the first thing you think of when you think of a prophet is a guy who predicts things. Right. That's in fact when we when we talk about prophecies, right? A prophecy was a prediction of something that's going to happen. So that's the first thing that pops into your mind, right? Well, I'm no prophet, but I can tell you that, right? That we're saying, well, I don't, I'm not really specially ordained to predict the future, but I can I can predict the future. So Jesus predicted. Lots of things. Now, the most common thing that he predicted <coughs> was his death. In Luke 18, he says, In taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets, predictions, is going to come true. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles, he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and stood upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Now, in, in your Bibles, you might have a little heading above this that says, Jesus predicts his death a third time. Alright? So, so, oh, Jesus predicted his death three times, and that's amazing. No, Jesus predicted his death way more than three times. Now, in, in the book of Luke, he predicted it three times, or Mark, whatever, so, he predicts it three times there. Uh, but Jesus had a lot more than, these are the three literal times. These are the times that Jesus came right out and said, I'm gonna be killed. And here's how. But there are numerous references throughout the old, or throughout the Gospels where Jesus said things, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And if he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. Or, 
unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, uh, I mean, there are references and references and references that Jesus makes uh, prophecies and predictions of his death. So this is not just three times. So really the most common prediction that he made was of his suffering. Jesus was a prophet. We were talking in, in class this morning. The amazing thing about, uh, about prophecies is not that Jesus fulfilled them. What? That's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing about the prophecies is that Jesus did them, but someone predicted it before it happened. That's really the amazing thing. Jesus didn't just look at the list and go, all right, here's the stuff to do on my day, because uh, Isaiah said this, and then this, this is this, and I've got I to gotta somehow do these all before, before... No, those things were set ahead of time. Jesus was going to do them, and the amazing thing is that people, Daniel or, uh, or Isaiah or Ezekiel, those, those men predicted that it was going to happen, and it happened just like... That's the amazing thing, that, that God gave the ability for people to predict those things. Right. <clears throat> well, a prophet needs more than just the ability to predict. Uh, there's another, in John chapter 4, verse 14 through 19, says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. I, you've said I have no husband. You have had five. And the one you are now living with isn't your husband. What you have said is technically true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now there's no predictions in here of the future. In fact, he's telling her about her past. And a prophet, another, another, uh, another word for the prophet in the Old Testament was a seer. Right? It had to do with your vision, your ability to see beyond the natural ability to see things and observe things. Now, there's no way that Jesus sitting here talking to the Samaritan woman could know that she had had five husbands in the past. And she's now living with someone that she wasn't married to. Couldn't know that. You must be a prophet. You must have this ability that God gives prophets to see things in people. This perfection. How could he have known all of that? That's the second thing about a prophet. The third thing about a prophet, found in Mark chapter 1, says they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue. And he was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, it doesn't mention anything about being a prophet. But I want to talk about the, the difference between the way Jesus taught and the way other people taught. When you go back and you read the way the prophets spoke, they didn't come here and say, walk in, well, you know... Maybe I have, you know, it's possible that, that you might want to think about doing things this way. Prophets didn't talk like that. Prophets talked with authority. Jesus spoke with authority. In fact, Jesus spoke with more authority than the prophets did. They would say, the Lord says, boom, and here it is. Jesus didn't even say that. He, Jesus, Jesus didn't even come in and say, 
Well, the Lord said, He said, in fact, you go through the, the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? You have heard it said, but I say to you, my authority. I don't need anybody's higher authority. I'm saying to you, boom. He spoke with an authority that they didn't have. Now, there's a book called the Talmud. Don't mix that up with the Torah. We kind of do that a lot. The Torah is uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. There was a book called the Talmud that the Jews developed later. And it was their rabbis and scribes and people like that. They, they started interpreting things because as time went on, after the, after the prophets, um, after God stopped giving prophecy and Malachi ends and, and there's three or four hundred years left of this, of this time where God's not speaking to them through prophets anymore. They're on their own. So they're starting to interpret their priests and their scribes and everybody. They're starting to interpret all the things that they've had. And they're starting to collect all these things. Well, Rabbi so-and-so said this and Rabbi so-and-so said this. So when they would get up in their... their um, they would do like their sermon, their version of sermons. They would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so 200 years ago said this about this. And so that's what they expected. So they would, they would go into a synagogue and teach. And so when Jesus stands up, uh, and he was apparently recognized as a rabbi from a, a visiting rabbi or whatever, um, and, and so, so when he went in, they expected him to get up and teach like you do. So you would read a verse and say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this about this verse. And that was teaching. And, and he stands up, and if we had the whole text of this passage, he says, reads the verse, he says, <clears throat> Today, this is fulfilled. And sits down. Whoa! Do <laughs> you don't say that! That's of your own authority! What are you doing? No references to other rabbis, no references to priests who said this, or... Boom. There it is. He spoke with his own authority. And so, the concept of the prophet was to declare. Really, a prophet just is one who speaks on behalf of. That's what it means. It's like a messenger. A messenger, but an officially commissioned messenger. I am coming with a message, like an ambassador would come with a message. This is... Now, he doesn't speak of his own authority. He, he says what the official message is. But, of course, Christ is God, so he comes with the authority and the message of God on his own behalf. He has the ability to declare. He is different as we look at all of these things. So we want to know the prophet. Right? Well, who wouldn't want to know the prophet? I mean, knowing a prophet could be really handy. Hey, you know, uh, there's a big game coming up this week, and uh, just kind of know what the line is. So, uh, say, prophet, you call up your buddy the prophet, say, uh, just a heads up, you know. That would be, be a cool thing to have. Are you getting ready to go camping? And like, hey, honey, can you go call Fred? See what the weather's going to be like. I don't know what the weather's going to be like. It would be great to have a prophet you knew that could predict those things for you. Like, yeah, there's not going to be any rain for three years. Okay, so I can put the umbrellas away. Hey, that would be great. You can know, know that. It would be great. To, who, who wouldn't want to know a prophet? Well, knowing a prophet's a little bit deeper than that. 
Uh, knowing Christ as the prophet has a couple of things, and two things that we're going to look at that is important. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 19 and 20, says, And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korathites, whatever, stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. When they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. So the first concept, <clears throat> here's this guy brought with a message. He comes with a message. The point is to believe him. Believe it. What good is it to have a prophet? I mean, what good would it be if you had a prophet that could predict weather and you're still packing up the rain gear? Like, I told you, like, listen, don't call me anymore. You see, you're packing up your stuff with all your rain gear. You only obviously trust in what I'm going to tell you. What good is having a prophet? Right? Trust. Believe what the message is. I told you to do this. Why didn't you do this? I'm a prophet. There is a, a part of faith that, that involves that. That ability to trust the message. The negative side of things. Why didn't you trust what I said? Don't do that. But there's more than just the negative side of that. A part of faith is believing in the promises. And sometimes we have a difficulty believing in the promises. These messages come from God for our good, for our success. For the betterment of ourselves. And sometimes it's easy to, to start thinking that we have to build our own promises. Just in case the, the promises are not sure. That sounded good, but I'm not sure. So just in case, I'm going to bring my umbrella. Just in case. Because it sounds good. God has given us great and precious promises, the New Testament says. How hard is it to believe good news? Is it that hard? It shouldn't be, but we have a difficult time sometimes. True success depends on our ability to believe good news. Here is good news. It's called the good news. And I'm not sure I can... Yeah. Trust the good news. Believe in it. So that is the first thing. Here's a prediction of something. A prophet predicts. And he predicts good things. So, so believe it. The second thing. In John 8, 31, 32, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This doesn't focus on his ability to predict things so much. But it focuses on his ability as a man who has seen and declare, declared reality. God sent this guy to... to Observe humanity to give messages about us. He sees into... And, and no one looks at my life and knows me better than Christ. And Christ says, I can see things about you. And here's a woman that has Christ tell her things. And he goes, she accepts him for what he is. I perceive 
you're a prophet. That's the correct response. The correct response is to accept Christ as he is. To accept his, his position as a prophet. To, his position as a seer is that he looks into my life and says, Andrew, let me tell you some things about yourself. I'm going to be pretty blunt. You've got this and this and this in your life. And the correct response is, Jesus, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's the right response. Not, <clears throat> well, you know, mm, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that assessment. Trust the one who has the ability to see. Accept. Simply accept. The same person that spoke to that woman near a well speaks and says, this is the way it is. I'm not saying this, that, that it might be. Christ didn't come as, as this, you know, just something to think about, Andrew. Um, this may be something you want to consider. And Jesus came and spoke with authority. He says, this is the way it is. This is what you need to do. This is the way life needs to be lived. You know, we accept constructive criticism. Don't you? We accept constructive criticism from people. Girls have a circle of friends and then they have other circles of friends, right? And there are circles of friends and with those circles of friends come levels of trust, right? So, so a girl has a circle of friends. Men, we are not in this circle. Doesn't make a difference if you've been married. How long you've been married, you are not in this circle. She has a circle of friends that can critique her clothing, right? Do these pants and you fill in the rest, right? So I can even Finish the sentence, right? And there's a circle of friends that can say, yes, they do. And there's a circle of friends that can't. She's got friends that can critique, critique the dress or the pants or the whatever. And she's okay with that. And then outside of that circle, you can't. You just got to lie. <laughs> we accept constructive criticism from people who are close. And that's what we've been talking about the whole time is developing this intimacy with Christ and, and being close with Christ. Can I take constructive criticism from the one who sees? If not, then Christ isn't close to me. If I can't open up the Word and, and, and say, here's something about me that I need to change, I have not gotten close enough that Christ is not in the inner circle. I'll allow him to say it, sort of, but, you know, you're getting too close. You're not in that circle. How does it make me feel? You ever read something and you want to dismiss it immediately? Like, mm. Or you hear a preacher say something, you want to dismiss it immediately. I don't know about that. What? We have at our disposal a prophet who knows us completely and knows the things that we need to do to have successful life. So one question as we close. You know, Jesus did not have an easy job. 
Prophets did not have an easy job. Of all the jobs that you were anointed to do, prophet was the least thanked, thanked job there was. What did Christ say about prophets? Which of, which of the prophets did you not kill? A prophet's job was basically to say stuff that got themselves killed. That's not a, you know, who wants that job? You're anointed as a prophet. Oh, man. You don't got nothing else in there. I'll take, I'll take any one of those. I'll take a sanitation engineer. Go back and pull another one out of that list. Prophet. That gets you killed. That gets you put in a log and sawed in two. That's not exciting. But who wants that job? Christ had a job that got him killed. We criticize the people who killed Jesus. Because that's obvious. How in the world? You couldn't see Christ? How in the world did you not accept that? And the question is, how have I responded? Or have I responded? I suppose you can ask both questions. I can criticize people who killed him. But how have I responded to a prophet? To a man who came here and predicted things? And, and told me about myself, how have I responded? Take the Jews away from it, take the Romans away from it, take all of them out of the equation, and just look at myself and say, how have I responded? I, I come here and, and I might prepare sermons and somebody else might listen to sermons, but all of us are, are in the Word and we hear the Word. How have we responded? And have, have we responded? Maybe I just let it bounce off of me. Maybe I haven't responded at all. Maybe I'm not in the negative, but maybe I just haven't been positive. Maybe it's just I haven't had a response. There's no pulse. There's no nothing. Have I responded? I've heard invitation after invitation after invitation to make a decision to change my life or to start a relationship with Christ can I leave again and ignore a prophet who came here and said, this is the right way and this is the only way to be successful? How can I leave without paying attention to the prophet?